0: Welcome, everyone. This is the literate. My name is Evan.
1: My name is Taylor. I read a book this week.
0: I watched a movie this week. We are doing Tread. This is the story of Marvin Heemeyer, a master welder in a small town at the foot of the Rocky Mountains, uh, who fortifies a bulldozer with 30 tons of concrete steel and seeks to destroy the town and those who have wronged him. Uh, And this is a documentary. Yeah, it's a real situation that happened in 2004. And I've never seen the story concisely put anywhere for me to see uh, from all angles, different points of view. What what happened here? Um, because
1: it fits in with, and we can discuss, perhaps he was wronged in a lot of ways, and I guess neither side being right. Like There is no right. hero in this way, but usually we see the sort of plucky- Rural underdog who's taking on the small town conspirators who are corrupt and need to be brought to justice. And we love those kind of stories specifically in America, because it's very much founded on the small plucky underdog who's going to take on the big system. But there's also the side of it. Tea party. Yeah, exactly. But there's also the side of it. It's like, oh well, you can also be going too far, and you shouldn't have to build a giant war machine, and you're a delusional sociopath. Like people, (laughs) normal people don't do that. So right. But at the same, like I said, it's a back and forth of like. But also, what do you do when you're pushed to the edge? But also, was he really pushed to the edge? But also, right? Who's Uh, there to speak for him now? Like it's it's a whole big mix. So it's a cool documentary.
0: Um, really, really interesting documentary. Um, uh, it's a hybrid doc where they definitely have a lot of dramatizations. I want to say up front, the dramatizations are a plus. They recreate this and they recreate the, the dozer and everything to an immaculate level. I mean, honestly, not expecting this level of production quality from something like this because you could make this really low budget. Um, and this mostly, is a uh, yeah.
1: The thing happened in 2004, so there is archival footage. People had video cameras, and there's news footage of this thing happening. Yeah, they like had a said, lot of like,
0: coverage, mostly through the middle and toward then the end of the of the thing. That's where I guess the dramatization of this is, is really heavy at the beginning of the attack. I'll say we'll call it an, an attack, right? Um, a big piece
1: of it, which I believe fits into the documentary, is the fact that the guy who did this thing had sent, I guess, what they call now his manifesto of uh, um, yes. why he was doing this, and the, they all the have one. Right these are uh but they're audio tapes that he sent to his brother the day before he went and did this, so then w- when this thing happened, his brother got the tapes, and he handed them off to the f b i and now they're open to the public to listen to, but I believe they use a lot of his audio, his words. Yes.
0: To frame the narrative and what he's doing and thinking and all of that, um, very much so it, it helps drive his point of view. Then there's not obviously there's no interview there's not there's no footage of really him. They have only just pictures and then his voice in these tapes. Kind of you, you walk he walks you through the entire dispute as much as he cognizantly can. This all starts over a land dispute in 1991, and this doesn't happen until 2004. So well over a decade that this brews. Yeah.
1: The book element of it, the book came out in 2017. The author being Patrick Brower, who is also a consulting producer on the film, and how he factors in. He's in the documentary. He was the former editor and publisher of Sky High News, which was the local newspaper in Granby, Colorado, where this happened. Also became part of the story. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He is one of the victims or people that the guy is going after and wants to attack um, (laughs) because he slighted him. So you can see already the amorphous bias, anti-bias in relation to the story because the person telling the story is one of the people who the guy wanted to get. Uh, Yeah. The author of this book, Patrick Brower, and the one who is really driving the narrative of it took time to get psychotherapists to review the tapes. Like he wanted to have that be a part of the book, but he said nobody was willing to judge them because they're like, we got to meet this person. Oh my gosh. And that becomes, I think a big part of it is, well, this is really all we have of this guy. And it really took everyone in the community out of left field because they knew he was unhappy with the dispute on his land. They knew he wasn't really a
0: part of because he had moved into the town in the right 90s he's not married period. he doesn't have kids he doesn't yeah. have a lot so i mean you, you, he's a bit of a downer to a degree but everybody at the same time he's a nice guy everybody yeah. liked him. nobody that doesn't like him really he's just kind of life is not as souring uh through the back half of the 90s for him and then just randomly one day in
1: 2004 Oh God! It's Marvin in this tank that he's obviously built over a year and a half span. Well, yeah, let me just tell you, cons- <laughs> when the
0: when the dozer bursts out and people finally see this thing, it doesn't take them long to go. It's Marvin, right? <laughs> that's that's the kind of you know they know they know. And if we <laughs> if we if we sound a little bit uh, more
1: jovial than we should, we should let you know that nobody died. And that maybe that's some of the confusion as well is was he actually doing this just to get out the other people or was he on a massacre warpath? A lot of people say that it was more luck than intention that nobody was seriously hurt, yeah, but that is also a facet of it. It is this crazy story of this guy specifically targeting buildings more than anything yes, with a bulldozer, yeah. although
0: there also were weapons attached to Certainly it. Certainly, is not, it had an irreverence for human life, but I, I think he definitely would have been under the assumption that he had taken uh, at least a few people's lives given the destruction i mean go ahead and go and look at some of this video footage go look at mm-hmm. this documentary the destruction is unimaginable actually so if i'm him i can only think that at least somebody's hurt if not a cup one or two maybe even dead uh, i believe that's probably why he went on to to take his own life but at the same time i do think it's primarily luck that nobody was hurt but i Also, looking at how it was operated and how he was done, what the targets were, I don't think he was necessarily trying to hurt any specific person as a target, like, I'm bodily hurt this person. I'm after them. It did not seem like that. It was, I'm going to the landmarks of the town. Get out of my way. And
1: so, let's just go back to the beginning. Get a little frame of reference. In the early 1990s, he moved to Grand Lake, which is a town nearby. These towns are only around a thousand or two thousand people. Yeah, Colorado, very pretty, small. small. Town. Just as a complete non sequitur, I saw that Grand Lake. The only other thing of note is that Tim Allen owns a house there. Oh,
0: fascinating!
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> he grew up in Denver. Um, hey,
0: neighbor! Oh my God, what are you building? <laughs> yeah,
1: I know about building. I did home improvement. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, what kind um, of welder is that? That's pretty <laughs> That's pretty hot, tough equipment there.
1: <laughs> I don't think he was there at the time. Um, but the next town over is where this guy, Marvin Heemeyer, has his – he opened a muffler repair shop. And he had bought land. And the big situations come around from this zoning dispute. And they're going to potentially build a – and we won't get into all the details. But they were going to potentially build this cement – Plant, but there was already a cement plant elsewhere. So people are like, "Oh, does the city just want more money, or is it? Were they planning this for a while?"
0: And it's it's all—it's like right next to a residential area as well. The land that Marv owned was almost like a buffer to this industrial park, uh, to this uh, like actually just a full-on neighborhood (laughs) right there. But a lot of the information is convoluted in the sense that
1: the people that are telling this story are the people that he was against, and so you can speak to the documentary doing a, a job of this as far as giving you. License to think, oh, maybe there is more to it, or like maybe he was a little bit justified in his anger, certainly not in the
0: outcome of his anger, but not everybody is squeaky clean here. Right. The documentary, I mean, is comprised of most of the council members and business owners and people within the community that he targeted, and most of them are still in positions of power, and you're getting told this story, which is kind of the assumed truth of the town there on the ground you're hearing them and then you compare it against what Marv is saying in these tapes and then people who knew Marv and, and, and can speak to Marv's character and those so you have these very differing uh narratives about who said what when and when what deal actually was said when and how how it was done did we even speak on this day nobody can agree as and it's to all these, really this timeline
1: is almost a decade of city council meetings and people had offered to buy the land that he had bought for cheap for a hundreds of thousands of dollars and allegedly he declined them and wanted more. And people are saying, well, that's just so he can say no and and play the victim. And he could have easily made off with money and set up shop somewhere else in town. And And it's also like his shop still existed. He just didn't want to follow these specific rules. And then there's a whole thing with the sewage line that can't be set up, but he could have set it up before, but maybe he couldn't have. It's just a whole big bureaucratic mess, which is relatable in the sense that we've all been there, where it's like, God, why won't this person just help me right. on the customer service line? It's,
0: it is edited in a particular way that is really trying to get you actively thinking about, well, what is the truth around what these people are speaking about? Because it's not exactly what these people are saying, but it, it there's also, you can't just listen to Marv because he is <laughs> right. completely... Uh, self-righteous and blinded by, I mean, by his own self-righteousness. He really is. I mean, uh, he uh, he sees he it as an act of God. A- everything is an act of God. If it is, If it goes right for him, it, it is a total, that is meant to be. That's why I'm right, because I didn't get caught right now. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy every single step of the way. It's interesting to me that by the end of the story, you know, only a year before this happened, not happen, he does get bought out. He does take the money, $400,000. Which he then uses to construct over a year
1: and a half this war machine that then decimates the town. And so it's like...
0: $400,000 wasn't a sign to walk away from God. But right. everything else was assigned from God. Yeah. Knock down City Hall. <laughs> yeah, Make, boat, construct, yeah. Spend all
1: of my money buying these things to construct and weld and concrete little and all of this stuff. Machine. He saw he wasn't living at his house. He was living in the building that he was. He had this incredible cabin up on
0: a mountain. He had like a a a beautiful uh, well, Grand Lake next to Tim Allen. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) he had this beautiful cabin, uh, a hot tub on his porch with this incredible view. He sold that on his own volition. We kind of want to make a distinction here. This is not a case where his business. Uh, failed because yeah. of some sort of policy handed down from the local government or that he was run out, you know, that somebody was, for, his house was for, and it is by nobody's fault other than Marv's that he doesn't have a house and doesn't have a lot going on in his life by the time that this is really happening. This is not somebody backed into a corner. I want to <laughs> go to, I mean, really, let me go to the poster here. uh says, desperate men do desperate things. But by the end of it, I'm, I'm going. Why was he so desperate? Yes, I get it. Right. I get like that I said, local politics can be an absolute nightmare. I understand. My mother lives on a property where she has an easement to actually access the road. Yeah, I understand a little bit about how easements go, property lines, small and just holidays. characters in yeah. small towns, and what the. Uh, my mom can tell you. I'll <laughs> give you her number right now. She'll talk your ear off for an hour about. The easement. I understand these things can be complete, all consuming. Why is that not a sign that this isn't for me? Yeah, right. Even if these
1: city people are stupid, yeah, whatever they want me to do, it was a fraction of what he spent in legal fees trying to fight the fact that they were making him do
0: it. It was a, at worst estimated $100,000 to actually get him hooked up to the sewage at a proper point, not going through somebody else's property. He spent so much more than that on, on just fighting this thing in the legal system. At that point, how are you not, go, how are you not walking? I mean, how are you not walking away there? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. At some point, he didn't have a wife, a husband, a kid. Th- he didn't have another thing. Yeah. Other things, enough other things in his life. That by at six o'clock, get the hell out of here! I gotta go home, get away from these problems. You know, yeah. at it, 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 somehow he allowed this to completely consume him because I guess then there's only another piece of it because it's multifaceted. It's in somebody's entire psyche, but there's just not a lot else in his life yeah. to turn to to draw his attention away to keep him uh, distracted enough. And I had imagined the small town stuff. It's like you look at this,
1: and these towns are only a 1,000 up to 2,000 people, these small towns. And it's like we had talked about with your mom in Georgia. It's like these small town things. It's like if you actually – and this is not a diss on that because it is a way of life, but sometimes you do have to zoom out to 30,000 feet and be like, hey – it would feel like the biggest thing in the world because there are, it's like, oh, everybody's out to get me. And it's like, well, in a town of a thousand, probably half of them are.
0: Yeah, it would feel like the entire world. It would be Mm -hmm. your
1: whole world is against you. So it's it's the dominoes falling of like, this is all you have and this is all there is. So that's all you see. And then it seems like, oh yeah, I have no choice. It's like, well, maybe you do. Wait,
0: wait, yeah, where's that breakout moment where you go, hold on, this isn't the whole world this isn't the entire state of Colorado. You know, like, (laughs) it's not right. It's not, but at some point there's more to life. There's more. Or there, you have different,
1: you have different problems. You have other other problems. You have other,
0: exactly. You have other, uh, other responsibilities. You have other people you care about, other things you're interested in. And I'm just, I, that's uh, watching the story. I can't imagine this land dispute being my whole life for over a decade and then consuming it like legitimately consuming it. I mean, it's terrifying. I don't yeah. know. I, I and I feel I'm just I wish that there had been more in his life. More yeah. something else, something else, man. Yeah, that's a good insight.
1: Well, let's let's uh go on to talking about some of these influences. I looked into literature and film and maybe where this has a historical precedent, where some other situations in pop culture that we might have missed that have to do with this and yeah. where even the title of what Got lashed onto mm-hmm. in the media is based on a book in regards to what, gotcha, okay. the kill dozer <laughs> moniker. <laughs> as far as old literature, I was just looking at revenge, and there really isn't much <laughs> in the same vein as this. You know, Count of Monte Cristo, <laughs> Hamlet even has the kind of what do I do to seek revenge? Mm-hmm. But nothing to this degree that I could find. Film, however, is very different. Some people had even said that this movie seems like a tribute to the 70s rural revenge thrillers, which the early and mid 70s was known for and got a lot of guff for these over violent, like there's white line fever in 1975 was about a long haul trucker who fought corruption with the truckers in Mm -hmm. Arizona fighting mad in 76 was an Arkansas farmer, which waged a war on a corrupt land developers. You know, this was a whole thing. And that's why it fits into our cultural consciousness. Yeah, Not as much the gravity of the situation. This is more of a fun action comedy, but it came out in 1984 and it is just called Tank. And it is this guy Uh who is part of the military and he's transferred to this small army base and in Georgia, and uh, his son, this guy's son, gets sent to jail via some corrupt small town police. So he takes the tank, the Sherman tank that he has that's retired from the military, and he goes on a rampage to try and get his son and everything. And like I said, it's not it's not oh, serious. It's not rated R. You know, yeah. man on on the loose kind of thing. But it is literally this guy uh, which gets it in is, the i tank mean, and, just, and yeah. takes o- over the town.
0: <laughs> um, so. Uh, <laughs> It would be amazing to see if he if he had was uh, cognizant of that film at all. But uh, interestingly enough, when they did go back to the uh, site where he built Mm -hmm. the the dozer, they did find a Vin Diesel film, A Man Apart, about a uh, a criminal whose wife had been killed by uh, drug lords and he goes out on a revenge mission to make things right. So that is the definitely something that he was actively <laughs> watching and then taking was washing over him as he's building the killdozer and thinking about uh, right. exacting his revenge against the people he thinks who have wronged him.
1: Speaking of the killdozer name that you mentioned, so the this just became the terminology that the media started using in relation to this story, but it's based on a old old sci-fi short story from 1944. The guy who um. came up with this was Theodore Sturgeon, and the premise for it is there's an alien spirit that's from an ancient sentient machine battle from a long-lost civilization. So kind of like Transformers, but they take over. But this was lost in an alien temple, and during oh, a construction of a airstrip on a Pacific island during World War II, these construction workers unleash it, and it possesses a bulldozer and tries to complete its mission from eons oh ago gosh. so that was the short story I skimmed it it's kind of weird um as soon as
0: you said transformers I just saw you know that the okay it's over and then the, <laughs> suddenly the dozer just <laughs> <laughs> and like sprouts legs gets up it's like walks out of the rubble, rubble's like gotta get out of here it goes yeah. on the run <laughs>
1: <laughs> well so turn ter- if you want to see this uh there was a horrible horrible now a cult film that came out in '74 in the same time as all these revenge thrillers called Kill Dozer, and it's the premise from the short story. Although it's a meteor that this alien spirit comes from, and not an ancient civilization. Oh man! So but in '74 the they did they did. <laughs> they <laughs> made before the ki- they made it. Oh the man! Kill Dozer movie. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh man!
1: Okay, and then there was also awesome. a, yeah there was a Marvel Comics just one sh- one off thing that came out at the same time. I wonder if Marv knew. <laughs> I wonder
0: how much he could have known. How much Does he, he even know now? He's in the now. He's in the book of just possessed bulldozers. bulldozer things. Yeah,
1: we're <laughs> talking about. Did what did Marv know when it comes to taking yeah. bulldozers to people? Yeah, where
0: would this come from? Did he just like have a grand idea or just like?
1: So I found I found two guys. Sean Nelson was a plumber and an army veteran, and he stole a tank from a National Guard armory in San Diego. This was in 1995. I'll post links to everything, um, but this is worth seeing some of the video footage that exists from the news of this time. So his backstory, not at all similar to Marv's, more kind of a actual guy going off the deep end and descending into what -hmm. might be perceived as mental illness. So he had an injury from a motorcycle accident in 92. And he sued the hospital for damages, negligence, all of this stuff. The hospital countersued, and so he lost that. He got addicted to methamphetamines and then oh sort of God. was doing really weird things. He dug a 15-foot hole in his backyard saying that he was looking for gold. Um, the business, the plumbing business that he had got halted through a huge theft of his materials, so he had no income. They had oh to foreclose on his house. His girlfriend left him just completely- he wrote a country album. In the mix. Well, you could do that. Um, He saw, though, that the Oklahoma City bombing had happened a month before. Uh, I wish he had wrote the country album. No. So instead Uh. what happened was the gate was left open at this National Guard armory, which sounds so insane, but it was. Oh, my God. The gate was left open. The tanks started with a push button. You didn't need an ignition key to access them. You're kidding me. So uh, there was a 23-minute chase well, he went through neighborhoods and whatnot, but uh, people think he may have been headed to that hospital that had wronged him oh, because that seemed like the intention for it. And the ammunition, thankfully, was kept in another building in the National Guard armory, so he didn't have any missiles or explosives okay. to okay. shoot out of the tank. He was just on a rampage going just there. On, just in the tank, um, okay. They were able to get on top of the thing, and this was sort of contentious because they opened up the hatch and he had gotten stuck on some piece of the median, was unresponsive trying to wedge it out, and they shot him in the cabin. And some people said, uh-huh. oh, well, they could have thrown a flashbang in there. They, could, you know, That was a big part of the story was was oh, he so God. unhinged that, that – were what happened that they needed to shoot him in the
0: midst oh of this. For anybody who has not, you know, is not aware of the story that we're telling today uh, about Marv Heeman, uh, p- officers did try to do the exact same thing to the to the dozer, um, but he had slicked it. He had literally greased it with Vaseline Batheline, and there was no discernible real entrances. I am am i i can't be 100% confident, but it was as if he was actually sealed and will. No, he inside. was sealed. They found yeah. at his site that he had a special crane
1: where he took the top piece and lowered it onto himself. So there was no exit hatch. This was oh a one way
0: ticket. Yeah. Okay. I did not read that. Yeah, no, it, yeah. it, it was, he was sealed inside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was no stopping him. They, they and, yeah. and they even have the guy I interviewed the police officer who like, actually rode the thing for a couple miles trying, trying to open it up yeah. trying to get into yeah. it so that's so in, why yeah. that didn't end like the like this other
1: example of mm-hmm. the tank well in the case of this one with Sean Nelson in 95 so ironically he they you know they shot him but they were able to get him into an ambulance and the, he later died at Sharp Memorial Hospital the very hospital that he had sued oh my God. for his care and he was the only fatality in this whole scenario and then the other one, 1998, Tom Leisk, and this happened in Alma, Colorado, which is only 70 miles southwest Ooh. of Granby. Right. 70 miles away from where the killdozer thing happened. This guy, it was another bureaucratic thing. They had were forcing him to pay these water department tap fees, oh my God. and he just went off the rails. It sounds like the
0: exact same thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. He went on a four-hour rampage, which was double what Marvin did. But, oh man. So but first he was very very specific. He went into a meeting that the mayor was having and shot and killed the mayor oh, and then stole oh a bulldozer and destroyed the town hall, the post office, the water treatment plant because of course it was about the water fees that he was being forced oh to pay my God. and the fire station, then retreated to his house, set his own house on fire and then right. fled into the forest and was captured.
0: See, and I want to make a distinction there. We touched on it earlier there's like the Marv and then there's this and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of big difference in between it. But again, I don't feel like Marv's intention was to hurt a specific person, bodily harm to a, any specific person. Whereas obviously the other guy walks into a board meeting and, and murders a mayor. Yeah. So there's 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 distinction between that. It's it, this is bizarre, but. <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, yeah. yeah, I think the intention here and, I, and that's why I when when this came up, uh, I was like, yeah, let's do this. This is an opportunity to, to talk about these mm-hmm. types of things without having to pick apart an actual massacre. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just Marv who paid the price for this. And, and then the, obviously yeah. the millions of dollars of property damage. But that's why we have insurance. OK, yeah. uh, the only one life was lost. I re- Other than that, I'm like, it, here's it's it. OK. We can yeah. rebuild the buildings, but well, one, this was yeah. an opportunity to pick apart these types of things without having to be in the midst of an absolute massacre. Yeah.
1: One last thing, since you brought it up in terms of the intentions and, and what actually happened. So Hemeyer had scribbled on a sign in his area that he was building this thing. He had said, I was always willing to be reasonable until I had to be unreasonable And unfortunately, that phrase, like it seems like, oh, Marvin was just mad at the the bureaucracy, the town hall. That phrase, I became unreasonable, has become a rallying cry for the extremist, which sounds silly, Mm. but it's the Boogaloo movement, if you're familiar with that. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) So it started off as a meme, in a way. So there was this 1984 film about breakdancing that was called Break Two Electric Boogaloo. And people are ah, yes, using yes. it as a joke where they were like, oh, th- that's what the Civil War is, <laughs> or just as like a, a a suffix to anything that is a sequel to something. It was so they said- A bumbling si- sequel. Yeah, yeah Civil <laughs> War II, Electric Boogaloo. But what people didn't realize is like, that was actually, since it wasn't being taken seriously, it was used as the name and organizing behind people that are actually doing Oh God. I did not Be, you know, know that. Awful I had thing. no so, idea. Yeah. Really no idea. And so what's also a shame is that the fact that, like, you know, there's these extremist groups that that form under these terms, and then some of them are are just on the right to bear arms. And then some of them are actually it's about race. And then some of them are even anti-police, oh, and some oh, of them are for the police, but want their gu- you know, it's like it becomes a whole where here's this one phrase or one thing that they see in the case of Marvin Heemeyer, and it becomes whatever thing you you are most passionate about that then you take that on so there was this was in just june of this year amid the black lives matter protests in oakland there was a guy who was military or ex-military an air force sergeant stephen carrillo they who did a drive-by shooting at the federal building in oakland and oh, when they God. went and he actually killed one of the security guards there when they went okay. to apprehend him at his home he shot and killed an officer he injured more he fled to the highway and okay. hijacked a car and when they got him in the car, since he he had been hit in his own blood, he had written "boog" and I became unreasonable, which is what Marvin Heemeyer had said uh, in his thing on the, on the vehicle that he hijacked, and so. You know, I think that that is sort mm-hmm. of like you look at this, and we say, "Oh, Marvin didn't go on a murder spree, right?" Or here all are right. the unintended consequences of people. You take one thing, and it's like, well, let's look at the n- the nuance of this. It's n- none of it is good. No, but here is Marvin did not intend to be. You know what people say that are into this, the last American folk hero, and he's really standing up to the system and all that stuff and then taking it and just going on a drive-by in the midst of other other
0: level like a complete just 180 Mm -hmm. like no (laughs) what he does give through the documentary i don't know he's not he's not a he's not a cutthroat vicious person gonna walk into you know he's not some crazed murderer yeah that's the that's the thing here that is so interesting is it's specific he's specific in that as well and he's not he could have he could have just done what all these other idiots did and just blown away these people and blown his problems out of smithereens and blown himself out of this world. He somehow built an unstoppable machine instead and yeah. made the town watch him pull it down. Very very different and and I and that's why I wanted to do this is that this particular instance is nobody will recreate this. This this will never be done again. And anybody who's doing anything, even kind of like it or in the vein of like, for no, we're taking the thing. No. Oh my God. You've mi- like, I think you're missing the point entirely. The entire tragedy of this thing is that nobody saw another way this could go down on either side. Yeah. And now, like I said, unfortunately, obviously
1: what Marvin did is awful and it shouldn't, that's not the way. Right. Like, we can't reiterate that enough. Like, <laughs> you, don't go bulldoze n- your
0: town. Right. When I get down to the small pieces of it, I think Marv, what he could not piece together eloquently enough to say is that people can't see past their own biases and it's really hard to convince anybody else that there might be a bias there. That's sad. What you also can't do is let that consume you and become your life, right? (laughs) And go and and become unmovable in that and turn your life into a game of self-fulfilling prophecies. You can't do that either. This isn't a way to process this. Yeah. Uh, this isn't a way to deal with anything um, So it's
1: a, yeah, remarkable story Not in the good sense of the word Remarkable, but literally worth Remarking
0: about Whew. This has got me all worked up. I'm sweating. So thank you, Taylor. Thank yeah, you thanks. for all your work. This was uh, this was a great episode. Thank you guys for listening out there. Get in touch with us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you're watching. What are you excited for coming up? Uh, we're always looking for suggestions for episodes. So let us know if there's something out there that you'd like us to take a look at. Thank you all. We will catch you next week. Yeah, thank you guys.